They been hating, I think it's stupid funny Haters, fake friends, making me stupid money Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be covering Open Theist vision, Open Theist strategy, Open Theist alliance, goals, aims, desires, and we're going to be doing this through looking through a lens of the book The New Right by Michael Malice. We're going to be observing this interview with Tom Woods on the Tom Woods Show and seeing what we can glean from that as it pertains to Open Theist strategy at gaining cultural acceptance and cultural dominance. And so, Tom Woods, take it away. I wonder if you would, at this stage now, having completed the book and it's out and you've taken us on this journey, can we sit back and you walk us through a few of the ideas that you think are central to this, well, I hate to say movement, but to this, whatever it is, conglomeration of people, and tell me where you think they're right and where you think they're wrong. Oh, that's a broad question. Okay. Um, well, let's do one at a time. Pick okay, I got one. it. I got you. I got you. Uh, one of the big questions is what does a win condition look like? That's a video game term, right? Like at what point, you know, it could be you clear a castle or, you know, you get a sword or, you know, you kill the dragon, right? So in for these people, it's what does winning look like? And I don't think conservatives – think in those terms like they think about beating democrats almost like a sports team right like even if you win the super bowl there's going to be a super bowl next year it, it's it's you know what i mean it's it's almost this kind of perpetual thing and with here it's like no 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 no. this is a war and there's going to be a victory and it's going to be us and what's that going to look like so let's talk about that what is a win condition what is our goals as open theists and what what is the culture war we're fighting and how do we know when we won I would say that we know we won when the default secular, religious, uh, just anyone's default opinion about the Bible is that the ancient Semites didn't hold to any of these Platonic conceptions about who God was, pure simplicity outside of time, so much so that that's a laughable proposition, that when someone says, oh, uh, Moses is writing and he has this idea of divine timelessness and he's just writing to our understanding, that that is a laughable idea, that it, that's that's not even an option when it comes to biblical, biblical scholarship. I think that uh, even philosophical open theists can recognize this truth about the Old Testament and then still interpret the Bible in light of their philosophical speculations, but that is the basis. We all need to converge, uh, the, all of society needs to converge on what the default face value understanding of the historical religion of the Israelites were. So one thing you'll notice about this definition is it includes wide cultural acceptance of these basic truths. And so, you know, that's why I'm eager to make alliances with atheists, with Mormons, uh, even Muslims. I was talking to someone the other day, they're like, why did you have a Mormon on the show? It's like, well, I'd, I'd have a Muslim on the show. I'd have Rita Aslan, uh, Rita Aslan is a scholar. He wrote the book Zealot, and uh, he's a very good Jesus scholar who understands ancient religion. He is a specialist in the field of New Testament studies, and so I would gladly have him on the show, and we could uh, come to mutually agreeable conclusions about what the data says. It's easy to do. It's not that I'm endorsing Islam. It's not that I'm endorsing Rita Asland, who is absolute pure scum, by the way. This is one of the guys who wanted to do violence against the Covington kids for 
wearing mega hats, you know, make America great again hats. He was part of that uh, whole psychosis where they're all projecting on these kids what they think is racism and things like that. Scum of the earth, Rita Asland, but he could be an ally in the culture war. Our culture war, the goal is cultural dominance. It's a cultural understanding of what the real religion, historical religion of the Israelites were. And then people would be free to deviate from that basis, right? The ancient Jews didn't have a conception of inherent omniscience that's ungenerated and and, uh, perfectly identified with God's being. You know, God's a simple substance and has no parts or predicates. That's just not even an option in ancient Semitic religion. Think of the win that the open theists will have if that's the basic understanding. People who want to accept the Bible at face value, that's what they have to deal with. If they want to put on Platonistic or Calvinistic categories, they have to overcome the historical, default, and culturally accepted religion of ancient Israel. That's the position we want to be in. And yeah, alliances are important. Working together with like-minded individuals, even people who differ fundamentally from us on major issues, working together to get this cultural dominance is an important thing to do for open theists. That's one of the things about open theism that I saw fairly early when I first started my channel, is that there were these people who wanted to be the gatekeepers for open theism. They thought, oh, open theism is where all the cool kids, the hip kids are going to, and I want to filter out the people who I don't like. Maybe the philosophical open theists were like, we can't have anyone who actually believes the text of the Bible. Uh, God had a conversation with Moses. Do you actually believe that actually happened? That was one of the guys who was trying to be a gatekeeper for open theism. Conversation I literally had with him. He's like, you don't believe that actually happened, do you? It's like, you don't want these type of people, these these control freaks who only want their particular brand as an acceptable alternative. You want someone who's who's not a gatekeeper, who allows people to create alliances. As if, if you're keeping these views niche, if you're not drawing alliances with people who you might have fundamental disagreements with, if you're not drawing alliances, you're doing a lot of damage to the open theist cause. And I, ta- I do have lots of conservatives that I'm friends with. And, you know, some of them, I'm not even going to mention who, but like I've DM'd with them. And this person's a prominent conservative Catholic, you know, uh, socially conservative. And they were talking to me in DM and they're like, I had to realize these people want me dead. And I think that is. Now, not, not all Calvinists want open theists dead, but there is a fairly large subset who defend things like the burning of Servetus. And they would, if they were in power, not only illegalize Arminianism, drive it underground as heresy, but probably even persecute people to the death. So some of these people that we're against literally want to kill people for having alternative views than they do. It's psychotic. It's psychotic. Is the big distinction between, oh, you know, the media, they're so sloppy. And it's like, no, 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 no. These people are preparing you for the gulags. So those are the two, I think, different approaches to the media being one example. Yeah, and that is very revealing. That is very – these different ways of, of looking at it. And, so, my, and, to, and you're asking me whether I agree or not. For me, I, I hate it when people say like, well, I don't understand how I can look at this and, and, and not think that. It's like, well, if you can't understand something, that's not saying something about the thing you can't understand. That's saying something about your brain, you know? 
Now, Michael Malice, he's one of the most astute political commentators, I think, in the modern world. And he has these one-liners just like that. If you can't see it from this different perspective, that's not my fault. That That's your fault. And a lot of times in theology, someone literally cannot read a verse in the eyes of another person. And they just assume that it's an irrational reading or there's no possible way anyone could read the verse like that. There are possible ways to read verses in alternative lights. So dealing with anyone, Arminian, Calvinist, open theist, and they want to insist on one particular reading, they need to show why their reading is most probable rather than the only probability. And dismissing other readings offhand is not a legitimate way to do business, saying, oh, that's not even a possible reading. Well, it is a possible reading because the guy you're actually talking to is holding that view. But I will use that expression. I can't understand how people can look at the Brett Kavanaugh case. And Brett Kavanaugh is a very accomplished man, very powerful man, wealthy, smart, well-liked. And if you saw what was done to him without apology or consequences for people who went after him, I don't understand, and again, I'm using that expression I don't like, how you as a layman think you would fare better if the eye of Sauron got turned on you. The Kavanaugh thing. Probably the closest analogy to this is the Calvinist treatment of Leighton Flowers. He's a very humble guy, a very patient guy. He he deals with people all the time that just, just hurdle abuse on him, abuse after abuse, and he does not retaliate. He's a legitimately nice guy, and they treat him just horrendously, just horrendously. We are not dealing with calm, rational people who want to engage in dialogue. We're dealing with fanatics when you're dealing with these typical Calvinists. In their minds, they think they're justified. They think they're doing the will of God. These guys are jihadists, or they are very similar to the cult of progressivism, where you can't deviate from this cult. And anyone who expresses any, any difference, you treat them. You treat them not like someone who has dissenting beliefs. You treat them like a heretic. And that's talked about in some of these interviews. Tom Woods has a bunch of interviews with Michael Malice, and they start talking about the cathedral, the cult of progressivism, where any deviation from your accepted standards is treated with just utter and sheer outrage rather than a calm, rational discussion. You can't have deviation from the accepted truth. You treat everyone who disagrees as heretics. Thing, yeah, that I ended up doing an episode on it with Dave Smith, and we just riffed about it. We just talked about it because I still I remember I was in the car. I listened to his statement, and how am I supposed to know who's right in this situation? How am I supposed to know? But I th I thought to myself, wow, that, geez, that he came out swinging. That was a really, really. That was, that was about the best statement you could give, and he has the appropriate, if he really is innocent, it seems to me he has the appropriate level of outrage here. And then I looked, I thought, wait, what are they going to say against this statement? It was all, he doesn't have the right judicial temperament because he's angry at being called a rapist. That's not what judicial temperament's about. It's when there's a case in front of you if you can look at it impartially. It doesn't mean if somebody comes up to you and accuses you of, of masterminding the Holocaust that you get angry. I mean, of course, I would want the person to get angry. I don't want an automaton. Or So, yeah, let's talk about this. This is creating wind conditions after the fact. Uh, there's an argument that happens, and after that argument happens, 
you, you pick and choose what you want to focus on to say who won the debate. Oh, if someone lost their temper during the debate, oh, they lost. Who cares about their arguments? Oh, maybe you were slightly mean. Matt Slick does this all the time. Oh, you're not treating me nice. Uh, I call on you. I'll quote these Bible verses to means you need to treat me better and he'll ignore arguments that's creating wind conditions after the fact focusing on whatever gives you a strategic advantage rather than truth these are the people we're dealing with we're dealing with the far left when you're dealing with calvinists if you're if someone in, in your court is someone who's been proven beyond any doubt to have raped and murdered a child for you to be michael dukakis in that you know 88 debate and be like well, you know, given all the plus and minuses, no, you want that judge to be like, this is an atrocity, an abomination, and you are going to be put away to make sure you're never in the same room with a child again. Right. Now, that is me- perfectly appropriate judicial temperament. In- yeah, so a good analogy to this is people calling God a rapist. These Calvinists, every single rape that ever happened is God's will. Every single piece of child cancer that ever occurs is meticulously determined from time eternity those are abhorrent beliefs and hopefully unless someone's a sociopath you you need a visceral reaction to it and that doesn't mean you've lost the debates or you're irrational anymore or your view should be discounted true it's not an argument moral outrage is not an argument but those types of things probably should make you mad when people are claiming that of God. And I don't blame it. I don't blame open theists who have uh, their YouTube channels and they talk about how horrible these things are, especially in light of the biblical data we have. It's just not Calvinist. It's not meticulous determination of all things. The Calvinists don't have a leg to stand on. And then they hurdle this abuse on God. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be them on the day of judgment. In, in the face of something, and also judicial tempering would be, you know what? You sold marijuana. I'm not putting you away for the rest of your life. That's that's. I mean, it it means having a heart, not being a robot. Yeah, not being a robot. And yet, you know full well, if the shoe were on the other foot, they would be cheering his righteous indignation. You know, well, so and it, also if he had been calm, they'd go, look, you know, yeah. it's guilty because if someone said to me that I'm a rapist in front of my kids, <laughs> right, I'd punch him in the face. That's exactly what I said. There was no way for him to win that. So these no win scenarios, that's a typical Calvinist thing to do. Uh, they'll criticize you no matter what type of arguments you made. They'll present to their own side that they won every single inter- interaction. Oh, I got this guy mad. I triggered them. I got kicked out of this group. And a lot of times they're the ones being abusive. They, they become abusive. They don't interact. They post abusive memes in various groups, and then they get kicked out, and then they say, oh, I'm suffering on the sake of Christ. It's these situations. Oh, I own them so hard that they had to kick me. Well, you're being a jerk. You're not interacting, and you're not actually coming to engage in real dialogue. So it's okay to kick you because you're. we're not kicking you for your theology. You're just a jerk. You're just a jerk. You're not being persecuted for your theology. So that was a significant thing. Tom, what you just said, this is the difference between conservatives and the new right. Do you think these people are playing fair? Do you think it's possible to win on their terms? Or do you think they will, after the fact, write the principle that will allow them to declare victory? 
That's that's a very good point. Uh, open theists, we need to wake up and realize when we're dealing with these people, like fanatical Calvinists, we're not dealing with honest people who want genuine discussion and dialogue. We're dealing with fanatics. We're dealing with cultists who are lost in their own, own little cult world. We should not play by their rules, and we shouldn't allow them to uh, force their rule set upon us. And uh, you'll you'll see them do it. Again, the Matt Slick. Oh, you're not treating me as I think you should. No. Man up, put on your pants if you want to have an interaction with me, and do it with all this little emoting. Don't play by their rule set. Don't give in to them, or else they're going to control you and declare victory. There's two interesting interactions that we should watch closely. There's the Jonathan Pritchett apology to James White for, quote-unquote, insulting him and calling him names. James White's not gracious at all in accepting that apology and admitting mutual mutual harm. He's not. He thinks, oh, when I just call people irrational and stupid, those aren't insults. Oh, I'm criticizing their belief, not them. He's a liar. He is a liar. This this is what who these people are that we're dealing with. His ungracious acceptance of the apology is one, and his ungraciousness towards Leighton Flowers, where Leighton Flowers posted uh, I love you James White video, and then he's in turn met with abuse. If you play like you're dealing with honest, rational, discerning people, uh, you're going to lose. You're going to lose these interactions. These people have no principles. They're not honest people. This is the big distinction. But yet, you'll recall, Lindsey Graham, whom I don't care for, was absolutely vicious in this, going after Kavanaugh's enemies. And just to the point where people who have not liked him for a long time, I mean, Ron Paul people don't don't like him. You got all these people saying, my gosh, now that John McCain died, maybe the real Lindsey Graham is coming to the fore. And there was even this... People have used it for memes, this photo of him walking. He's adjusting his tie with a smirk on his face. Yeah. And right behind him is a woman screaming at the top of her lungs. And he's got this smirk. And the photo, if people want to look it up, is called the owning of the lib. <laughs> is that what they called it? Yes. All right. So, I mean, so that you would say in there you caught a glimpse, but only a glimpse of what you would normally look for on the, on the new right. Because right. he, he's not part of that movement. But no. boy, he reflected that for that brief moment. Yes. Yeah, so it wasn't a matter of, well, uh, he didn't handle it the way a Mitt Romney would have handled the situation, you know, because he loves you know, he loves the U.S. Senate and he loves proper decorum and he loves there, respectability. There were more organizations that you can count on the right who were like, Kavanaugh should withdraw. Remember? They yeah. all saying it. And this is the big difference also, a big difference between the conservatives and you right. Are you going to back down or are you going to double down and punch these people back twice as hard? That's what we need to do. <laughs> the new right is growing. The new right is edgy. The new right's able to create a movement because they're not going to play by these double standards. Will Chamberlain on Twitter, he says, I refuse to play by these double standards. And still, you start enforcing these standards, we're not going to play by them either. That's what has been dooming the Republicans in this country for as long as I've been alive. As long as I've been alive, it's been double standards. One standards for Republican candidates and one standards for Democrats. And I'm, I'm not a Republican or anything. I've never voted Republican or Democrat for that matter. It's not like not voting Republican means you're a Democrat or vote Democrats. I wouldn't vote for those people. 
But the Republicans have always been very timid. They've, they've always backed down from every fight. They've always been reactive. They, they haven't been upstream culturally. They haven't created the dialogue. They haven't been principled. They haven't stood against this constant abuse. This is one of the reasons Trump won the election is because he is a candidate with a spine because he symbolizes masculinity. He symbolizes someone who's going to stand up against these double standards and he's not going to play by their rules. He's going to play by his own rules and he doesn't care what your criticisms are. If your criticisms are bogus, he dismisses you out of hand. And Trump being the greatest example of this, when they came for him, instead of apologizing, uh, there was this great clip. People can find it. He's doing it. This is when he was a candidate. And he's doing a presser. And a journalist asks him, he goes, hey, uh, Mr. Trump, don't you think the term anchor babies is offensive to people? And Trump goes, oh, OK, what do you want me to say instead? And the guy goes, children, American-born children of undocumented immigrants. And Trump goes, you want me to say that? He goes, no, no, I'm going to say anchor babies. And the guy keeps talking, goes, excuse me, I'm going to say anchor babies and just moves on to the next question. So this premise of one thing that you'll see is this attempt to control language in the in the radical left. They they take these terms and they want to have their own special definitions. They want you to also adopt their terms. You're dealing with the Calvinists. You say, oh, in your view, God controls all things. They're like, oh, that's not an accurate uh, description. It's like, well, did God predestine all things meticulously such that uh, no atom can uh, move without his uh, prior knowledge, acceptance, and him casually making it happen, they'll say something like, yes, because you got John Calvin quotes that say stuff like that all the time. And y'all, okay, I'm going to say God made it happen in your view. It's not misrepresentation. It's it's what you literally believe. And uh, if you want to just try to change the language, that doesn't mean that I'm misrepresenting you. That means that you need to grab a dictionary and look what the dictionary says. I'm not going to play by your linguistic games. And the Calvinists try to do that. They look for linguistic wins. If you don't say something exactly how they would say it, then you're misrepresenting them. And they, they need to show how the misrepresentation's happening. They need to show how your description of what they believe is wrong. Don't play by their linguistic games. Don't let seed linguistic territory. They say, oh, you're denying God's sovereignty. I'm not. Let's grab a dictionary. Let's look what sovereignty means. You're abusing the word. You don't understand what the word means. Stop using that word. What you really mean is divine, meticulous control of all things. Micromanagement, fatalistic control is what you want. You don't want the word sovereignty. Don't seed linguistical games to these radicals. Why are you, and I talk about, you know, the, often the impossibility of discourse. Why are you engaging with someone when there's no upside and they're not coming at you from your framework? There's no point. So it's just like, yeah, okay, that, I, I heard you. No, we're moving on. And another example I use in my book, Jim Acosta was in the Oval Office or adjacent to the Oval Office with the president. And this was after, I'm, you're going to have to bleep this, because the Tom Woods show is a lot cleaner place than the Oval Office, when President Trump allegedly referred to those shithole countries, right? And Jim Acosta goes, Mr. President, are you comfortable with, with immigrants coming from like Sweden and Norway? He's like, and he, Trump goes, I want them in from every, everywhere. And he goes, oh, but not like, you know, countries of like, like Africa. And Trump just goes, out and just points at him, and that was the end of that. Yeah. Instead of... If a Calvinist signals to you their unwillingness to have dialogue, exit the conversation, not worth it. These Calvinists, I'm on Calvinist web, web pages, and I make a point. They use the laugh emoji. 
block them. Block them. You don't need to interact with these fools. They're all radicals. They're all lunatics. And they're cultists. They're not worth interacting with. They're not honest people. Oh, I'm not racist. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. right. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you have, if, Tom, if someone comes up to you that you never met, let's use another example and go, you know, I'm not a rapist. <laughs> you're, it's, you're not going to feel more comfortable around this person. Yeah, no, no kidding. And, and, and I mean, likewise, he handled, I don't know if it was how many months ago it was, somebody was interviewing it, or no, it was a press thing. And they asked him, uh, they said, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez called you a, a racist. And he says, who? And they said, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And he just, who cares? Who cares? That was, that was his entire response. Yeah. And he did the hand motion. Which is the motion. correct response. The dismissive correct. hand motion. Yeah. yeah. Dismissive hand motion. Totally correct. Because everybody's a racist for her, so who cares? Right. Hey, Calvinist call you a heretic? Who cares? Don't care. You say something? Don't care. You guys talk nonsense. You're fanatics. And you're the actual heretics. Don't care what you say. You say something? Make a real argument. In the words of Stephen Mullinux, that's not an argument. That is not an argument. Right. Completely correct. If only he were so good on the substance of things I want him to be good on, you know, as he is on how to handle situations like that. Yeah. All right. Why should this matter to the new right? Why do they need sure, to understand sure. culture in terms of Michael Malice's analysis? Sure. So Andrew Breitbart was the one who basically had the idea that politics is downstream from culture, right? Or culture is upstream from politics. I think I've seen it written either way. And I think most people listening to the show have come to the realization that Washington is the end game. And, you know, things like the universities, the media are, are very, very important and precede it uh, by, the, you know, that's where the battles of ideas are fought in Washington is where they're implemented. And if you've lost it where they're fought, at that point, you're just arguing over what the trimmings in the house look like. And that is why, the, why that basically is what happens in Washington, even when people like the Tea Party group come in or the 94 group from with the Gingrich Congress. So, it's kind of like conservatives see that liberals are driving this car and they realize, you know what, we're not going to get to our goal unless we're driving a car as well. But it's like they have no idea how that car got built or how cars get built in general or how that liberal happened to get that particular car. And when I speak to conservatives about this, they do realize it's something that they never realize that they don't realize. And then once you point it out, they're like, oh, this is a this is actually a very big problem. So I am starting in this book to kind of solve that issue. But this, I think, is the big issue for the right wing to face. Where does culture come from and how do, how is it the left has managed to dominate it so thoroughly and pervasively for so long? This is a very good point. And how do we change the culture? We're going to have to leave off after a few thoughts. As Michael Miles points out elsewhere, it's being fun. It's being hip. It's showing that you're not the fuddy-duddy. It's not the Tyler Velas of the world that are uh, screeching in autistic screeches after every single meme you post featuring him. Uh, that's that's the way you show that you're the fuddy-duddy, that you, you have no sense of humor, that you, you can't take criticism that's not who we need to be. We need to be the fun people who have the humor on our sides. We need to be the meme makers. And they have to be these rational memes. The Calvinist memes are so idiosyncratic that they're easy to tear apart. They're they're just badly made because they have this alien mindset from the rest of the world. It would be, uh, what's a good example? Maybe like uh, Jim Jones cultists making memes about their religion, uh, something like that. Everyone else would look at the memes like, what the heck is going on in this meme? And uh, that's what the Calvinist memes are like. But we could be funny. 
we could point out their idiosyncratic thinking. We could point out their absurdity of their positions. We can make fun of them, and we should. We should be lighthearted. We should uh, take take insults, take criticism with a grain of salt. Uh, we should be gracious to those who want to criticize us and not overreact. That's really how you change culture. It's uh, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be a one-man shop. It just has to be open theists in general. Get your kids involved. Get your kids talking about the issues. Get your kids having fun. No one wants to join the side of whoever's not having fun. And that's how you're going to grow a movement. That is how you're going to grow a movement. So really quickly in review, let's talk about some of the concepts that Michael Malice has taught us about the rise of the new right and as it applies to open theism. One, we're looking for a win situation. We're looking for a particular win situation in which open theism is the default reading of the Bible and that any philosophical speculation is going to be imposed upon this default reading. We are the biblicalists. We are the ones who care about biblical history, ancient Israelite religion, and deviation from that should be seen as rejection of the Bible. Two, we're not dealing with people who care about integrity and honesty. Don't treat them as they have integrity or honesty. Uh, treating them with even dismissiveness. Michael Mills talks about this in one of his interviews, how people are like, oh, our elected officials, we need to treat with respect because they're elected officials. And he's like, I am just on a whole different mindset than you. We, we are not even on the same page going on here. You got to treat these people with ridicule, uh, treat them and degrade them in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. Don't treat these people as if they're respectable, rational individuals. You treat them with the respect they deserve, which is not much. Culture, we got to change the culture. We do that through having fun, to being open, and not uh, being the fuddy-duddies, shutting everything down. We're the ones who are able to take criticism. And don't play their games. Don't play the Calvinist games. Don't play by their rule set. Don't give them rhetorical advantages that they, they don't deserve or haven't earned or haven't fought for take that see don't cede that territory to them and last of all uh the seminaries the churches the pulpits they're downstream they're downstream of culture we change the culture we change the world anyways back to our original opening statement we need to draw alliances and our alliances are really with any rational person who could read the Bible for what it is, no matter their religious background, no matter their temperament. They could be the scum of the earth like Rita Aslan. They could be on our side if they are talking reasonably and rationally about the data set that we care about, which is the Bible. If someone wants to read the Bible honestly, they are on our side. They could be used as our foot soldiers. You get atheists questioning Calvinists on legitimate face value readings of the Bible, the Calvinists are going to have to defend their own reading and take on biblical theology. That's one of the reasons I founded God is Open, so that there's not going to be these gatekeepers deciding what acceptable and unacceptable thought is, breaking down alliances rather than creating alliances. We need allies in this battle. It's a cultural war, and it's a war that we intend to win as open theists. One last tidbit, open theists, one of the fastest ways to change culture, have a lot of babies. Uh, kids typically follow the theology of their parents, unless there's mitigating circumstances. But anyways, thanks for listening. I hope you uh, learned something. Joe, check out Michael Mellis's new book, The New Right. I, I know I'll be reading that uh, coming up. I've listened to a ton of the interviews, all good stuff. 
all about these cultural wars that America is currently experiencing. All about strategy, vision, practicality. Leave a comment, leave a like, start a thread on God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.